0: You're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Amen. Thanks, Brother Dave. Well, good morning, Bent Tree Church. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're going to be surprised in John chapter 8. So glad to be with you this morning. Before we get going, let me just say... Um, We've got a women's retreat, I say we, that would not be me, um, we've got a women's retreat uh coming up after the new year and uh, signups are right there on the QR code if you want to go ahead and take advantage of that. Listen to me, guys, it's important that you get your girls there. Uh, It will be uh, critically important. It'll be a great time. Uh, It'll be up in Allen's Park, uh, wonderful camp there, Uh, but also is... If that price becomes too much of a barrier, let us know if you need some scholarships, some help with that. And and uh, there are people I feel certain uh, that will help with that, including Bibi and I will help with that because we think that that's so important. Uh, and thank you, team, for putting that together uh, as we do as we do that. So, well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, Amen. Uh, and what a great time of worship we! had together as we sang and I just love your voices I do I love singing with the saints if you've not been to other churches lately uh when I have gone they tend to not sing like my church does um so I in this week of Thanksgiving as we get ready for Thanksgiving don't forget uh, what uh we talked about with thankful Sunday coming up uh, Uh, So if you've never been to Thankful Sunday, it is a tradition here at Bentree. You don't want to miss it. Uh, It's a great time of worship and uh, singing. So by the way, if you're new to Bentree, one of our core values is just that, is uh, extravagant worship. Now let me explain what that is. uh, Because we worship God passionately with everything we are, everything we have, everything we do, and Do you remember when we were studying way back in John 4, uh, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well? I know that's a long time ago, but Jesus says to her, he says, The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And this is what we do here. We, we worship. It's why we worship God passionately with everything we are. Everything we have, everything we do, our life is a sacrifice of worship. So as we worship God with music and prayer and and we worship him by reading his uh, word, now we're going to turn our attention to studying his word. This is worship here. So we worship about... Thinking about what the meaning is to the text. The meaning, uh, trying to get that deep in our hearts. Not just knowledge, but uh, what it means for us to have that in our hearts. And what's so cool about uh, this is we're not alone in trying to figure this out. If you were a Christ follower, redeemed, you have the Holy Spirit working inside of you to unlock these words. And this is powerful. That means this book is living and active. And it could change our lives. So let's go to God and ask his blessing on this time. Uh, let me just add our, my voice in that. Would you just bow with me? Heavenly Father, this is our prayer today as we, as we open those words of life. Would you open those words to our understanding by the power of your Holy Spirit? Help us to not only understand what is happening in the text but to drive it deep into us, internalize it, change us, grow us into maturity, both as individuals, but also as a church body, God. It is in the precious name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, amen. Amen. Well, let's dive in, shall we? Got your Bible open, something to take notes with? If you'll remember the last time we've been together, uh, as Jesus is preaching, many of the Jewish folk In this large crowd listening to him have begun to believe that this might be the Messiah, the promised one. Now we read in John 8 verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to these Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free. Now, we studied this last time, the idea that Jesus is saying, you'll know the truth, you'll really know the truth, and you will know that I, you are my disciples if you are abiding in my word. Now, this is easy to get backwards in our understanding. This is how. You see, we tend to think if we abide in his word, it will be the thing that saves us. Now, the complete truth, though, is that you will know you have been saved. You will know you've been set free from sin if you are abiding in his word. Do you see the difference? Or to say it in reverse, Jesus is saying, if you're not abiding in me, you're not one of my disciples. Abiding in Christ doesn't save you. It shows you that you are saved. God saves us. It's his work alone. We are born again. We are justified. We are monergist, meaning it is a work of God alone. Born, we are regenerated, and we will know that we are following Christ's teaching when we are abiding in his word. Do you see that? That's what it says. So Jesus is saying, this is what truly believing in me means, that we will abide in his word. So because we, like we said in the past, You can believe in Jesus at a a superficial level, like a mental level, just a mental ascent. That's not saving faith. It's just knowledge. And we can even believe the facts that Jesus uh, is the actual son of God, the Messiah, sent to rescue God's people from sin. But even that is still not saving faith, is it? No. It is that third level of believing and then acting upon that belief, internalizing it at the heart level, at the soul level. And Jesus says, you'll know when you are there because you will be abiding in my word. You will be abiding in me. Another word that you can use for abide is the word rest. R-E-S-T. You rest in his word. To rest securely in Jesus alone for your salvation. And in knowing that, in knowing me, Jesus says, in abiding in me, he says, you will be set free from the power of sin. And the power of death because of that sin. Now, hang on to... Jesus' statement, what he just makes that when he tells those that abide in him, they will be set free. Hang on to that statement. This is going to be key in understanding what we'll be focusing on here today with Jesus' rest of uh, what we're covering today. So the Jewish people, they hear that, they think through it, the Jewish leaders again interrupt Jesus, they're right there, They interrupt Jesus. We read in verse 33 this is the Jewish leaders. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now they're looking for a fight. Let me read that again. But this time, listen for the pride in these guys. The self-righteousness just kind of oozes out in this statement. See if this makes sense. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Something that Jesus says in this statement sends them over the edge in anger. They are offended. What is it that offends them so bad? It's that statement Jesus made to them that he is the Messiah. And look, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, what makes these guys so upset set with this statement? Well, Jesus has just stepped on their pride, their self-worth. They're worth in front of everyone, but it's particularly what they think they're about. Because think about this. Jesus is saying, my true disciples, which would mean there are fake disciples too, right? He says, my true disciples will abide in my word. And in doing that abiding or living in my word, you will know truth, the truth, singular, and that truth will set you free. Now you get this. What does Jesus' statement entail? By the way, this will reveal to us why these religious leaders, they're so ticked off. And just a warning, this can set some emotions in us uh, on edge. I've seen that. I've I've read this and taught this before, and people go, ah, I don't like this. Again, what does Jesus' statement entail? Well, think about this in reverse, and it might help. Take the second part of Jesus' statement first, just for us to think through it. Write this down. There's three things Jesus is communicating here. This is number one, that before Christ Jesus, all are in bondage to sin. All are in bondage to sin. Talking about before someone saved. Or you could say slavery instead of bondage. That everyone is then a slave to sin. Now, this makes these guys mad, doesn't it? They point out in verse 33 that they're not slaves of anyone or anything. They want to make that clear to the crowd, clear to Jesus. This clearly hurts their pride. But on top of that, they think Jesus is unjust saying it to them. These guys truly believe that they're not in slavery to sin or anyone or anything else. But then the next thing that makes them so upset is Jesus. what Jesus implies with number two. There is truth that we can know in Christ, or Jesus Christ that can set us free. There is truth we can know in Jesus Christ that can set us free. This is the thing that is making them so very angry. So get this. Jesus is saying, one, they are in slavery. And two, if they know Jesus, the truth of knowing him can set them free. You you following what he's saying? Well, these guys are what we would call educated. They are prideful because they know things. They know scripture. That's what their schooling has been about their whole life. They're proud of that fact. They even wear special clothes that when you see them walking down the street, it would say, these guys have the Torah memorized. These are scholars. They know God's word with their head. But not with their heart, not with their soul, do they? Amen. Now, understand, there is nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with knowing the Bible, knowing doctrine. I, I, I try my best to prepare, to prepare a meal each week to, to be able to give you a good meal, steak and potatoes. Well, let's just be honest, beans, rice, and fajitas. <laughs> I want to give you knowledge, but knowledge doesn't do it by itself. We have to be careful because the knowledge or information can lead us to the sin of pride of being puffed up. Look what I know. Look what I know. That's where these guys have gone wrong. Number three, Jesus is saying, knowing me can set you free. In other words, we can find the truth as we abide in God's word. We don't have time to go there, but You remember back in John 1, John the Apostle talks about Jesus being the word of God. So it's a a double play, being in Christ, being in his word. He's talking about this. We can find the truth as we abide in God's word. Even though Jesus is offering to set them free from their bondage of sin, set them free from slavery, Their pride now has been damaged by this message Jesus is giving them. They don't see their bondage, do they? Now, this is often the case when we share the gospel message. You hear me say that the gospel message is inherently offensive to people. And this is why. Because if you don't know that you're a slave to sin... Why would you need to be set free from something you don't know you're enslaved to? It's why American-style evangelicalism over the years often falls short in, in connecting with people as they share the gospel. People simply don't get it because they don't know they're enslaved to sin. Well, some do, but many, not many. You hear Christians many times, great motivation, go, I'm going to go share the gospel. I'm going to try to connect with these people, show them God's love, but then they share the message of the gospel and it falls short. People are simply not interested in hearing it. American styled, and I'm using that word carefully, American styled evangelicalism, especially over the last 30, 40 years, many times tries to share the gospel like this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Why don't you come to Jesus? Now that message is not wrong, is it? It's not wrong. It's the right message, but just not all of it. Because why do most people reject the gospel? They, they simply just don't see the need. They hear the message of God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. And they think, well, isn't that nice? That's very nice. And they may even start coming to church a little bit. It's like if you go see the doctor and she tells you that she has a great new medicine that will make you feel better and make you live longer, she wants you to start taking it. And you say, great. And you go get your prescription filled. You take that medicine home. You take it a couple of times. You go, I don't get it. Why? Why? Because you don't know that there's something wrong with you. There doesn't seem to be a problem. Why am I taking the medicine? That's... And so it just stays on your shelf. Now, what the doctor forgot to tell you when she said, I've got this great new medicine will help you live longer. It'll make you feel better. She forgot to tell you your blood is septic. There's poison in your blood that will kill you if you don't take this medicine. And take it now. Now, what did the doctor forget to provide? The urgency of why you need the medicine. When we say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, people who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, it's the same thing. They don't know that they're septic with sin, they don't know they've been poisoned that they're headed for hell. Jesus reveals that to us in the next verse, though. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, what, what does Jesus mean here? Well, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Isn't it? Sometimes it's, sometimes it's helpful to think about what it does not say. It does not say everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You go, yes, it does. Now, there's a word missing when I said it like that. The word practices. Let me make sure we get something straight and remind ourselves of this important truth. Who has sinned? All of us, all of us. Some of you in the last five minutes, right? Right here in church as I'm preaching. Romans three ten through 12 says, the Apostle Paul says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. Look, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So who has sinned? Everyone, all of us. But Jesus is saying for those that believe in Christ Jesus, that have placed their faith In Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, they have been set free from the slavery of sin. In other words, we've been forgiven of our sin, past sin, present sin. And this blows our mind, but even future times when we'll sin. We have been justified. Remember we talked about that last week, the legal term that we have been declared righteous before God because of what jesus did on the cross we have been given the righteousness of jesus into our account it's called imputation it's not that we have never sinned or we will never sin again we will but that sin's penalty all of it has been erased in that we are no longer in bondage to sin we are no longer slaves to sin someone say amen because that's the good news right there But what is Jesus talking about here? The one who practices sin. So what is he getting at? Well, think about this. Think about this. If we say we believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and yet nothing changes in our lives, are we saved? These are the questions that we wrestle with, right? We wrestle with this. Because most Christians, I believe, Think of salvation like this. I said a prayer at the end of church that one time and so I'm saved. I know the gospel and I know my sins are forgiven so now I can go and do whatever I want to do. I got to get out of sin free uh, card. Get out of jail free card. Get out of hell free card, right? But let me ask, isn't that what Jesus was just saying is a sign that you're still in chains to sin? Because you practice sin, and that you don't repent, Are you with me? Amen. How do we balance this? This message that we, as true believers, have been wrestling with sin that we're still forgiving, and we're trying to avoid temptation. <coughs> the Apostle Paul puts it this this thought process into a question. Turn to Romans chapter six. This is the classic text for this verse one through seven let me read this Paul says he's talking to believers he says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound he asks the question by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In other words, we were dead on the cross with Jesus. We died, our old self. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. This is important. With that in mind, what Paul has just said, flip back to John 8 for a moment. Let's consider Jesus' teaching in verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who Practice of sin is a slave to sin. Remember, they had just said, we are, these guys, these religious leaders said, we're offspring of Abraham, meaning they are direct descendants of Abraham. They are Jews. They probably could recite to you all the generations all the way back to Abraham. They're Hebrews. And they say, we've never been enslaved to anyone. But is that true? No. These guys are literally sinning as they're saying this in that moment in a number of ways but a huge one is that they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah that's the big one and then the second thing is they're trying actively to kill him we know that they have a plot to kill him so Jesus said truly I say to you everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin then he adds this clarification in verse 35 and 36 Jesus says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, what does Jesus mean here? What does he mean? Think about this. He's using an analogy, isn't he? He said that they would understand this analogy. A slave that might be working or a bond servant in the house, he has no control. He has no standing in the family. He could be sold by the owner. He's not his own. But the son in the home, he's the heir. He won't be sold because he's the son of the master. The son will be part of the family forever. Why? Because he's the son. He's not a slave. And the son can do something amazing. The son, in this analogy, can set the slave free. What's Jesus talking about? Well, since Jesus is the son of God, the real son of God, he can make the slave free in the truest sense of the word, free indeed. Jesus can take the slave's penalty for his sin, the chains that hold that slave. The son can make those chains fall off. We looked at this last time, sin's penalty can be declared null and void. Why is that? Because the son can justify the slave. Watch this. Another way to say it is that the son can declare the slave free from sin and sin's power. That's the sanctification. How does the son do that? By taking the place of the slave. By switching roles with the slave. The son gives his life for the slave. He buys The the slave's freedom? Are you following what Jesus is saying in this analogy? And and I love what Jesus says here in verse 36. Read it again. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Look at that word indeed. Underline that in your Bible there. What does that word mean? It, It means without question. Without question. Or you could say it's not just a concept. His freedom is a reality. That's our justification. We have legally been declared righteous because of Jesus taking our place. But then there's the life we live now as we wrestle with sin as believers. Those have been set free. We still wrestle with sin. We fight it. We repent of it daily. That's the sanctification part we looked at last week, right? That even though believers in Christ Jesus wrestle with sin daily, we are still not a slave to it anymore. We have been set free. We're a son, a daughter of God. So why should we resubmit ourselves to the chains of slavery? And yet many Christians do. They don't lose their salvation, but they willingly put the chains back on around their neck, around their feet, around their wrist. But how do uh, we don't have to do that? Why? Because we're sons now. We're daughters. We've been set free. That's what we mean that our lives as believers in Jesus is a constant repenting of our old sinful nature and habits. That even though we have been set free from sin, we still wrestle with temptation, don't we? Our physical bodies want sin. It's a battle, isn't it? Okay, back to Jesus here in John 8. He responds to these religious leaders' pride of being uh, descendants of Abraham. Now, this is about to take on a new level of meaning here. It's going to go a different way. So watch this. He says, I know that you're offspring of Abraham... Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Look, Jesus agrees these religious leaders. He says, yeah, I get it. You're sons of Abraham or descendants of Abraham, rather. Hebrews. I get it. But what these leaders lacked was Abraham's faith in God. Now, how does Jesus know that they lack Abraham's faith? Well, he says, because you seek to kill me. And my word finds no place in you. In other words, you have no faith in my words. Jesus' word had no place in their rebellious, spiritually dead hearts. And why is that so significant? Why is that so significant? Because of what he says next in verse 38. Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. You get it? Two fathers, two families. What Jesus has been saying is exactly what God the Father has told him to say. He doesn't veer from it. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus is saying, you don't have faith in my word that comes from who? The Father. And he says, and it comes straight from the father. That that has no place in you. Well, the religious leaders hear this. First part of verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Like, blah, say, I'm going to tell you. Now, Jesus has just told them in verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Look at that word, offspring. He's saying, I know that you are descended from Abraham. But notice he doesn't use that term Abraham as their father. They are descendants of Abraham, but he's not their father. So Jesus is saying, look, there's something different between just DNA being passed on and what really he's talking about. Now, why is this so significant? Because Jesus is going to show them who their real father is. And it's not pretty. Look at this, verse 39, second part of it. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. He just pointed out something. He's going, Abraham's not your father, someone else is. Jesus is saying, the proof that you are not Abraham's children is that you would have faith like Abraham. You would do the same things that he did, but you're not doing that. In fact, you're trying to kill me. What had Abraham done? Flip all the way back to Genesis for a minute. Genesis 15, Genesis 15. I put in the orange word so you know who's, uh, who it's talking about. Verse six. And he, talking about Abraham, believed the Lord and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham had believed in the promises of God that God would bless the entire world through Abraham's descendants. Abraham had faith in that promise of God. And what is faith? It's always helpful to go back to Hebrews chapter 11. The author of Hebrews gives us a a quick definition in verse 1. This is one that should just be underlined in your Bible and highlighted. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. That's faith. Trusting that God's word is true even though we can't see it yet. Jump down to verse 8 of chapter 11 there if you're there in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. By the way, this chapter is something called the, uh, uh, popularly the the Hall of Faith uh, or the Hall of Fame of Faith because it outlines so many of the Old Testament saints and how their faith was lived out. It's a great read on your own with your family or by yourself. Listen to how Abraham's faith is demonstrated. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was challenged to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. How many not knowing where we're going? We're just following in faith. We're just following in faith. Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, you don't believe in faith because, because, because you're not children of Abraham. Now this is serious accusation. Yes, you are physical offspring, descendants of Abraham, but you're not his children. So what is Jesus talking about? Now, things are about to get ugly. They've been ugly, but now they're getting uglier. Remember when we said often people, if they can't argue the truth, if they lose that, they... They turn to personal attacks. We've seen this. Here they go again, personal attacks, attacking Jesus's character. And remember, there's a big crowd listening in, several thousand people. So we read in the second half of verse 41, they said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now, if I've been Jesus, and thankfully I'm not, I'd have just smoked him up right there. You know, it was a poof talked about my mama them fighting words where i came from do you get what these religious leaders are saying though he says your mother conceived you in sin who knows who the real father is because she's been with so many people but we we are holy we have one father god is our father And Jesus is just calm, cool, and collected, simply tells them the truth that they're not children of Abraham and certainly not children of God the Father. Look at this in verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. He's saying, if you were God's children... The proof would be in your love of me and then the message that I bring. That's the proof right there. Now, we're about to open a can of worms. You thought we had opened a can of worms. But we're about to open one in here. Know that I love you. Hear me out with this. But Jesus has just demonstrated a truth. Not Christian. Not many Christians want to hear. You ready for the truth? You can't handle the truth. You can handle this. Here it is. Not all people are God's children, but all people are uh, image bearers of God. Not all people are God's children, but all people are image bearers of God. Not all people are God's children. We just saw that. Jesus just pointed out some of them. But all people are image bearers of God. So what do we mean? We've heard people say the opposite of this all our lives. They say, we're all God's children. But Jesus says, that's not true. Didn't he? What what is true is that all people are made in the image of God. We read this in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Jesus even quotes uh, that himself in the gospel. He he says this exactly, that males and females together are made in the image of God. They reflect the glory of God. But Jesus has just told these guys that they're not children of God. What's the difference? Now, this is going to mess some of you up, so hold on to your seats. I know you, you know I love you, don't you? But I've got to preach what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus, listen to Jesus. He asks a question here. He knows the answer. He's God. He asks the question for our sake. He says in the first half of verse 43, he says, why do you not understand what I say? Remember, he knows the answer. He's asking that. Why do they not understand what Jesus is saying? It is because Jesus hasn't explained himself enough? I think he's pretty clear. Let's add the second half of the verse, Jesus, to that question. Ask the question again with the second half. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot, underline, bear to hear my word. You cannot bear it. And here we are right back at the deal of can versus may. Ability versus permission. They have permission to believe all day long, but they don't have the ability to believe Jesus's words. And why is that? Why is that? Well, Jesus has just told them that they're not Abraham's children and not God's children. So whose children are they? Jesus says in verse 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil. woo Man, that's going to leave a mark. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, talking about the devil, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is another one of those times that Jesus has just said something that you just can't unsay. It's the drop the mic and walk away, Right? He said in front of all these thousands of people that the Jewish leaders right there are sons of the devil, that the devil is a murderer, and so are they. They're just acting like their father, the devil, aren't they? And look, he calls these guys liars right in front of the people that they rule. Now, don't miss this. The reason they don't believe Jesus is that they can't believe him. They don't have the ability to believe because they are sons of the devil and are spiritually dead. By the way, I I promised I would remind you of this, but this here in verse 44 here is so important that we write this D O G Doctrines of Grace. This right here is what we reform back to when the Roman Catholic Church had gone off so bad in the Reformation 500 years before. It's reforming back to the Gospels, back to the New Testament. This is a doctrines of grace verse. Write D-O-G in the margins of your Bible there. These guys are guilty. They are dead in their sin. They're enemies of God. Now, you would think this was enough, like Jesus would give, give up right there, like stop, but he goes on because in verse 45, he says, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. They can't believe Jesus because he is telling the truth. They can't believe Jesus because he's telling the truth. Why can't they believe? Because they can only believe what their father tells them. And Jesus says, your father is the father of lies. He cannot tell the truth. The devil can't tell the truth. Now, if you're getting this tension, man, the steam is hot. It's coming out of these guys' ears. And Jesus just keeps going on. He asks another question similar to the first. He asked in um, verse 46, he says, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus is saying, look, you've watched me like a hawk for three years. Can any of you, any of you point to one, even one single sin that I've committed? And the answer is clearly no. No one in the crowd, none of his disciples, none of these religious leaders, their, their job is to try to catch him. He says, if that's true, that I've never sinned, and you can't show me a sin that I've committed, well then, why do you not believe me? Because if it's to the truth that he had never sinned, that would be the only person ever in history to not have sinned. Do you see what Jesus is asking them? He's saying, the literal proof has been demonstrated to you in my life, how I've lived, and yet you don't believe me. No one else has done this. Now remember, when Jesus asks questions, he's not looking for Information, he's asking the question for them to see the truth, the rest of the crowd, those starting to believe. Now, he's going to answer his own question of why they can't believe him. Stay with me. He says in verse 30, 47, he says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are, look at this, not of God. God. Now, Jesus is saying two things. One, he is confirming again that there are those who are not children of God. You see that, right? The second thing he says that these were those who can hear him are children of God. Let's say it this way. Write this down. The people that have the ability to believe are sons of God. The people that have the ability to believe are sons of God. Look back with me to John 1 for just a few moments. This is one of those anchor points for doctrine. It's a tie-down point. The apostle John tells us in first, uh, uh yeah, John 1, verse 12 through 13, he says, but to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of, say it with me, but of God. Now understand, there are Christians, legit believers, that disagree with me. But respectfully, their disagreement is not with me, it's with Scripture. And they would read this passage in a different way. All of this that we just read, let me, let me read it to you the way they would say it. This is just Paul's paraphrase, all right? They would say, Jesus is begging, imploring these guys to believe. Like, guys, why don't you believe in me? I'm I'm telling you the truth, I promise. I don't think that's the case, do you? I, I think Jesus is saying, You guys can't believe because you're sons of the devil. That's a very different message. Now, here are two false doctrine alerts you need to be aware of. Here's two false doctrine alerts. You ready? Here it is, false doctrine alert. All right, we should try to judge those that we think will come to faith in Christ Jesus and share the gospel with only them. Wrong, wrong. We should try to judge those that we think that will come to faith in Christ Jesus and share the gospel with only them. That is so wrong. People that don't believe in reform doctrine often accuse reformed people of teaching this. We don't. No one ever has. That's wrong. You and I, believers in Christ, we cannot see those who will turn to Christ as Savior and Lord and who will not. Only God can. Jesus tells us our mission in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, doesn't he? These are marching orders. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we share the gospel with the entire world. It's why part of our budget when we give each week goes to the International Mission Board and to CTI, our mission partners and our our place in in, uh, the Philippines. Only God can tell the people who will believe and who won't. Often you hear people accuse reformed believers of not wanting to share the gospel message with the world because only the elect can be saved, but that is not a true accusation. It's twisted. We are called to share the gospel message with the entire world. It's up to God to save them. Our job is to deliver the message. God appoints us the job of sharing the gospel and that is sovereign plan of not only who is saved but check this out. In Reformed Doctrine is even who shares that message is predetermined. We don't know that. We just go. We just share the gospel. Somebody sits down next to you on the the bus or the plane and you, you get to talking to them and you share the gospel. Let me share The other big warning here, and this is a very important one. I've debated on whether to put this in. There are some who claim to be Christians that have taken the verses we just studied and they have twisted them and used them for great evil. It has been going on since the first century. And it peaks its ugly head over and over. And every time it does, many people die. In fact, we saw it last time just a few weeks ago, but we saw it in our recent history in the 1930s and 40s as used as justification to exterminate 6 million Jews. Because these people would wrongly say that Jesus is referring to all Jews as sons and daughters of Satan. This makes me sick makes me angry second big false doctrine alert you ready me 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 jesus can't be saved as jews can't be saved and are enemies of god because of their race wrong 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 it's so wrong that lie is so evil Just a few weeks ago, a dear member here showed me a video of people that are espousing hatred of Jews and calling for them to be killed. All the while, look at this, claiming to be Christians and using these verses to do it. Listen to me. That's sick. It's wrong. It's evil. We are praying for the Jewish people to turn to Jesus in faith. And in the end times, I believe they will in mass. Folks, we may be on the edge of that. And certainly there are Jews like the leaders that will not turn to Jesus in faith, but we share the gospel with all of them, praying for their salvation. We are praying for people to be saved in every tribe, every nation, every country, all over the world. That is our mission, number one. You see, it's not your race that saves you. It is being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit at the direction of God the Father made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his death and resurrection. Well, you would think that Jesus couldn't go on, but he does. These religious leaders are going to go after Jesus, but Jesus is just going to use this to keep revealing himself as the true son of God and reveal his true enemy, Satan, and those who work for him. The question is not whether this, uh, why Jesus was crucified. The question is, why was he not put to death earlier? I mean, saying this, They're going to try in just a few verses. You can read ahead, but he's not going to let them. Because why? Because he's God and he has set his face towards what the father has told him to do. He has come to purchase our freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly father, thank you so much. God, for just meeting us here with your Holy Spirit of giving us the the time your Holy Spirit, to come into this place, that you would speak to us as the eternal God, us limited, finite creatures. But God, you have revealed so much to us in the words of Christ, these words of life. So God, I pray that you help us take this from just the informational stage to the heart stage. That our lives would be different, that we wouldn't be puffed up with knowledge like these guys were, but we would live like those disciples, giving the rest of their life until Jesus takes them home. God, may that be our prayer, that we would live with a passion because we have been made into children of God. We were slaves. But Jesus, you purchased our freedom. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing? Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bent Tree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit bentreechurch.com.